Welcome to Healthcare's Missing Link, a weekly podcast to help you uncover hidden things that steal your health. Thanks for joining us today. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Sherwood. Welcome to another edition. This is going to be a good one. Now, so today I'm going to focus a little bit on vaccines, the mechanism of actions, and the ingredients. It's going to be a power-packed few minutes here, so I want you to pay attention. Before I get going, I always want to remind you to go to Sherwood.tv. If you enjoy our content, there's all kinds of stuff for you there. So subscribe, get your free newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. And Dr. Michelle and I are honored to be a part of your life. So when we get into the vaccines, there's a lot of controversy on there. And I want to go into this and preface this conversation with this concept that I slash we are not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to give you anything other than information. So if you recall the last podcast we did on the vaccines, I really didn't know the ingredients at all. Kind of went through some some fundamental concepts in general, but I didn't know the ingredients. And because of you, thank you, the listeners, I got so many emails from people that actually tracked down the ingredients from the manufacturers. So I went through the ingredients. And so in this podcast, I'm going to go over a few considerations we need to think about regarding our own immune system. Then I'm going to talk about the ingredients of each vaccine that we have and who puts it out. And then I'm going to talk about some mechanisms of actions. I'm going to give some final thoughts. And then for those of you that believe as we do, we have a faith in God. I'm going to give you a scripture that you can hang your hat on regarding vaccines in regard to your decision to take it or not. So first of all, um, when we talk about immune considerations, I, I made several notes here, and I want you to kind of think through this with me. The bottom line is we're all different. And so I like to call this the immune resilience considerations. First of all, we need to think about the youthfulness of our immune systems. As we know, clearly the young people that we have, the younger you are, the more resilient the system is and per capita young people die less. Secondly, we need to think about the strength of our system. Some people have stronger systems than others and we all know things we can do to strengthen them. We'll maybe do a podcast on that over time. Then we have to think about nutrient status. Sometimes if we eat poorly, we need to understand that the lack of nutrients which are required to run our system are not there. I'm not just talking about our immune system. I'm talking about our detox system, our endocrine system, our GI system, our neurological system, et cetera. If we don't have nutrients available and we eat a poor diet, all systems, not just one system, will suffer. And what about our current health status? Do we think about that very much? You know, are we healthy or are we not? And along those lines, everybody's different with your innate or your acquired immune system. I mean, we some of us were breastfed, some of us were not. Uh, some of us were taking a lot of antibiotics when we're young, some of us were not. So we all have a difference in our innate immune system. And Again, like the innate immune system, we have differences in our acquired immune system. Some people have a learned system that is really earned with a lot of, you might say, um, acquisition based upon testing and strength of challenge. Of course, the time some people live in the country, they have more challenged their immune system and tend to have a stronger system than those that live in the city where maybe we're more germ phobic, et cetera. Just using those examples. Finally, we have to think about medication usage. Sometimes we don't understand that medications actually pull out nutrients, which leads me to this. In the next podcast coming up here in a week or two or three, whenever I get around to doing it, I'm going to talk about some of the medications that people are using in regard to, quote, the cure 
end quote, to COVID-19. I think it's very appropriate. I'm going to talk about those in a future podcast about the medications pull out of nutrients. So sometimes medications, by their general effect, it's not a side effect. It's actually an effect. They pull out nutrients. And I'm going to give you some shocking information on some of the well-known things that you and I have both heard about. You need to take this. You need to take this prophylactically all the time. You'll be shocked at the amount of nutrients that are pulled out that we need to run our systems, including the immune system. And then I think a consideration we need to think about before I dive into the ingredients of these vaccines is a mindset. Mindset is huge when you're talking about, you know, where you are and what you think you can overcome or what you think you can't overcome. We've talked about fear many times. When we have a fearful mindset, we know that's going to affect our system. And when we have a hopeful mindset, that's also going to affect our system in a positive way rather than and compared to a negative way. Sometimes faith the consideration. Some of us believe that we have, you know, the uh, we're made in the image of Christ, and that means that our our bodies are made in the image of Christ, our immune systems are made in the image of God. So, with that said, we have faith to know that God's going to take care of us. And some people don't believe like that, and I can respect you either way. But faith does have a big part. Uh, in this consideration. And the final consideration is who do you hang out with? You know, sometimes community and friends and family and friends, et cetera, they dictate what you do with all your behaviors. And therefore that can absolutely have a profound impact and effect upon your ability to be immune resilient. So with all that said, that those things, I want to remind those two for you again in the future podcast, when we talk about uh, the medications that are recommended and the pullouts. But now let's dive into the vaccines. Fascinating. There are basically two types of vaccines that are two brands of vaccines that are used in the U.S. One is from Pfizer and the other one is from uh, Moderna. The one that's used in the U.K. is, is from a company called AstraZeneca. So now, many times people look at these vaccines, they think, well, they're going to have mercury, they're going to have formaldehyde, they're going to have antibiotics. You'd be happy to know, I guess, perhaps, that I couldn't find those three ingredients in any of those three vaccines. So I did not find any listing of any metals, in about any antibiotics or any formaldehyde, which is common in many vaccines, including the common flu vaccine. So with that said, all of these vaccines generally have the same components. And I'll break down the components for you and the subtle differences of each. First of all, let me talk about Pfizer's vaccine. And now each of these are going to have some sort of an engineered active ingredient messenger RNA. I'll talk about that in just a moment, what that actually means and how to explain that. But generally speaking, this is sort of a nucleoside modified messenger RNA uh, that is encoding for the viral spike protein that is the hallmark of the SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so these messenger RNAs within these vaccines have this coding to make the spike protein. They also have lipids or fats. So. I'll talk about the mechanism in a minute, but lipids are important because they act as a carrying molecule. They also have salts and they also have a form of sugar. The active ingredient in the Pfizer vaccine actually tells the body to make the spike proteins. Again, I'll generate more discussion on that in just a moment. So the fat are generally the carrying molecule of these vaccines. So again, 
I'm going to go into the mechanisms, but I want us to understand that RNA is different than DNA. So several salts that are in these vaccines are some things that we ingest on a regular basis, and they're very common. Uh, many of them have sucrose, which is a form of sugar that we've all heard of. And in, in general, the salt allows the vaccine to uh, maintain the same acidity as that of our bodies, and the sugar helps with stability. So that is generally Pfizer's uh, vaccine uh, ingredients. And so uh, when you look at that, you can also see within uh, Moderna's much of the same sort of information. Moderna's has um, almost the same ingredients, just a little bit different variation between the salts and the the, uh, the minerals that we were just talking about a moment ago. And as for AstraZeneca, this is what I found with them. This is one that's used in the UK. Um, this one does have the messenger RNA, but I'm quoting from their own ingredients. This RNA is a recombinant replication deficient chimpanzee adenovirus vector encoding for the SARS-CoV-2 protein, glycoprotein. So this is a little bit different. This is called vector encoding as opposed to the messenger RNA encoding. These are a little bit different. I'm going to spend my time in just a moment talking about the way the messenger one works because it's mainly one used here in our country, which is the United States. So in the AstraZeneca one, it is produced in or from genetically modified human embryonic kidney cells. So those questions have been asked. I just answered that question for you. Uh, other excipients within the AstraZeneca vaccine, including L-histidine and, of course, magnesium, that's in there as well. Ethanol, there's sucrose again, sodium chloride, there's salt, and uh, then there's some water in that one. So these vaccines are just a little bit different. Now, let me talk a little bit about the mechanisms of actions of these things. So I'm going to explain this in a way that you'll understand. Okay, compared to the typical vaccine, let's choose the flu vaccine, where they would take a little bit of the flu, a small amount of the strain that they believe is the most common or potentially the one that's going to be the most common this season. So there, we take a little bit of the vaccine or a little bit of the uh, the virus. I'm I'm sorry, and it's just small enough amount. It's not supposed to make you real sick, but we we carry it in. It does have a little bit of antibiotics with it. It does have a little bit of, as I stated earlier, formaldehyde and even a little bit of mercury. A little bit, not a lot. So these things are typically taken in intramuscularly. The body then sees this little bit of the virus. Uh, common virus. And it says, oh my goodness, I need to respond to that. And based upon the memory that is in the adaptive immune system, the body has this ability to recall the way it responded to last season. So it sees this season's and it begins to respond accordingly. So your immune system is induced. And of course, that's going to signal a cascade of events with both acquired and adaptive immunity, even some inflammation, of course. And that's going to signal your DNA in the nucleus to initiate a recipe that is transferred via transfer RNA out of the nucleus and into the messenger RNA, which is outside the nucleus and near the cytoplasm, which is the edge of the cell. So then the messenger RNA is going to take that recipe to make some proteins that are going to become antibodies that are going to attack, if you will, or neutralize that little bit 
of the virus that you just were exposed to. And that makes a pretty good common sense. Again, all of those considerations I talked about earlier would determine whether the vaccine would be effective or not. And we need to understand once again, that viruses do change in regard to strains. So don't be surprised if you hear about new strains. That's a very common thing. Viruses do mutate and move. Now, Let's compare with the mechanisms of action of the messenger RNA vaccines. These are different. You're not given any of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So that's a major difference. Instead, as I stated with the ingredients, you're given genetic instruction for your body to make these unique spike proteins, which are unique to the SARS-CoV virus. And so when the body sees those spike proteins, the body will induce, again, that immune response and hopefully create an antibody. So let me go through this real quick. So in comes this genetic instruction. It's carried by fat. So these liposomal delivery methods go into the body. And because it's carried by fat, that fat almost acts like a cloak or a shield because we don't want the system to see that coming in because it can respond. We actually want that to go into and merge with the RNA and the cytoplasm. And so a lot of people ask, well, does this change DNA? The answer would be no, it cannot change DNA because DNA is in the nucleus and the RNA is in the cytoplasm. And the body doesn't work that way. It goes from the nucleus out, not the RNA back in. So we can say that based upon that question, does it change DNA? The answer is definitively no, it does not. So the fat, which is liposomes, it's going to carry it in. And because the edges of the cells are consistent with phospholipids, which are also fat, the fat actually shields it coming in, but it also carries it in where it can merge or bind to the cell wall and easily insert into our RNA in a place where this now inserted recipe can create a number of these spikes. The spikes come in the system, and as stated, the body then goes, hey, I'm gonna try to respond to you by creating some sort of an antibody to these spike proteins. Now, why do we have to get two shots? Well, the uh, example would be this. We don't know how many spikes it's gonna create, and we don't know how strong the response will be, so let's do a second shot to ensure we get enough spikes created and to get a sufficient in, in mind's eye of proper immune response, therefore proper antibody development, so that when the body sees the unique spike protein coming again, as similar to the flu vaccine, the body now has a memory that your adaptive immune system, remember adaptive is sort of a memory system, can create this antibody again to the spike protein. So that's basically how the thing works, okay? So I hope that makes sense. Now, I wanna go into a couple of considerations regarding the vaccine because there's some myths out there and there's some misinformation. And as you know, Dr. Michelle and I wanna be very careful with what we say because we don't wanna be sharers of misinformation. We don't think that's wisdom. If we don't know the answer, we'll tell you we don't know the answer. As evidenced by the last time we did a podcast on vaccines, we didn't know the ingredients. Now we do, so we know a little bit more and a little bit more. So with this one, here's a couple of things we should understand, okay? First of all, we know that the coronavirus is common. It's a common virus. It's been around since the beginning in time and will be around 
to the end of time. It's going to change forms. It's going to change uh, mutations, change strains. We know that the SARS-CoV-2 uh, disease actually or process infection is unique and that these spike proteins, which I just spoke of, they actually have a unique binding site, that being the ACE2 receptors. Now, ACE2 stands for the angiotensin converting enzyme 2 receptor. Has a little bit to do with blood pressure, doesn't it? So these ACE receptors sort of regulate blood pressure, making it normal or not. So people that have blood pressure issues obviously would be a little more susceptible to this spike binding in the ACE2 receptors. Now, the ACE2 receptors are located obviously in the, um, the oral area. That would make sense. But they're also in the heart the lungs, the brain, and the testes, and even some now are indicating they're in the gut as well. Hence, people could have diarrhea, they could have uh, low hormone function, they could have heart issues, they could have, of course, lung and pulmonary issues. Now, please understand that, as I just stated, the viruses do change strains. So it's very important to understand that. And when the virus passes through human populations, in general, the strains at first might be more severe, so more people might die. But as it goes on, the virus gets a little bit weaker, but sometimes gets more contagious. So again, lethality might go down, but contagious uh, susceptibility might go up. And that's kind of what we've been seeing over the last you know, 12 months or so, give or take. Now, va vaccines in general, again, we're not anti-vax, we're not pro-vax, we're just sort of pro-choice, if you will. We're pro-information. We believe in informed consent. Vaccines are indeed necessary. They have saved many, many lives over the last hundreds of years. So we cannot say that they're unnecessary. So let's don't go there. They've saved a lot of lives. Polio vaccine, for example, you know, the measles, uh, chicken pox. We know that those are better disease processes and they pretty much are eradicated now. So vaccines are necessary if there's no other ways to cure. Vaccines do cost a massive amount of money. So we know that. But we also know that this virus now, at least where it is in its mutation sort of uh, trajectory, we know the lethality has gone down so much and the survival rate is now approximately 99%. Most of these vaccines, as I stated in the ingredients, are these liposomotropic sort of agents, meaning they're carried in by fat, uh, fat cells. Now, that don't get freaked out about that because that's not unusual. Uh, we use supplements to get carried in the system like that. It means that they get assimilated better, and it means better efficacy with what you're trying to deliver to a point. In the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, Again, as stated, we're not seeing the virus coming in. We're seeing just the, the spike proteins coming in. So the vaccine only acts by developing the spike proteins. Now, one more time, it cannot change DNA. We've also heard rumors that the vaccine is sort of an antenna that can be a tracking device, and the 5G system is going to be used to track you. Well, 
that would be literally impossible because if you're going to do that, you'd have to insert some kind of metal to be a tracking device using the antennas. And we already have iron in our body, which is a highly prevalent metal. So if you want to have antennas, you already got it. And further, our cell phones we carry around are acting as a tracking device anyway. So don't worry about that. I've also heard stories about the vaccine has a 060606 patent number. Again, that is a false statement. Though taken out of context, it can sound like a good story. The WO2020060606 patent is a real deal, which was rolled out last spring in 2020. And it does, it was listed by Bill Gates, and it was dealing with the uh, ability of technology to be able to track. Uh, human behavior, human uh, response, maybe uh, human biomarkers, and then reward you with this cryptocurrency or being able to compensate with crypto cryptocurrency. Is that a little bit of a scary thought? Probably sure. Is it a little bit of unknown? Sure. But it does not deal specifically, as far as I can tell, you can read the patent for yourself. I just gave you the number, WO2020060606. Look it up. It is registered last spring, I believe, in April or so. Uh, finally, it's been said that the luciferase enzyme, yes, that's a real thing. That is the uh, bioluminescence that's inside of the firefly that we really have, that it's going to be inserted in the vaccine so that this bioluminescent technology can light up the body and we can see if a person actually took the vaccine using a special scanning device from the outside of the body. I did not see that in the ingredients, did not list the ingredients. Has it been used before in vaccines? Perhaps, yes, you might look back at the measles vaccine and see if it's there, but it has not been used to date as far as I know and as far as Dr. Michelle and I can tell regarding tracking to see if someone actually did or didn't take a vaccine. Um, we know that immune systems in general can be improved and optimized by proper supplementation. Much, much data is out there about vitamin D. Much data is there about zinc, vitamin C, omega-3. There's even some in hormones. There's a lot of them about the peptide, thymus and alpha-1, liposomal colostrum. Many of you have asked us and received the COVID protocol that we use prophylactically. We don't use medications prophylactically. We use these supplements prophylactically to improve the function of our body to get it to function to its own individual, unique, optimal level. And again, by subscribing to Sherwood.tv, if you want to contact us through there, we'll be happy to give that to you as well. We also think from a consideration standpoint that medical treatment should never be forced. Uh, people should have the opportunity uh, to choose yes or no, right or left. We just need information. We need to be informed in our consent to do things or not. In this case, please understand that the FDA did clear these uh, vaccines in an emergency status. Having said that, they have not been tested with the population. We all know that. The emergency clearance was based upon risk versus benefit based upon the emergency. And the men and women who made those calls did that. And sure, there are probably going to be situations where there might be a negative reaction, perhaps even death. But again, they made the decision. I've done our best. We've done our best to give you information along those lines. These, again, are not like current vaccines. These are actually experimental biologics. 
our own immune system really does a pretty good job if we think about it. So once again, we're programming messenger RNA to produce things in this case. In this case, the spike protein. There is some data on these type of vaccines with animals, and I'll quickly go over that, and then I want to cover quickly a biblical principle for those of you that are interested from a Christian standpoint, do we or don't we take the vaccine? Uh, in some animal studies, the messenger RNA vaccines have been used. Now, I don't know exactly what were, was in those vaccines. I don't know the streak of that vaccine. I was just telling you some of the studies, and the animals did not perform too well because of a condition called antibody-induced enhancement. So in other words, the protein spikes become so uh, proliferative, it created an overwhelming abundance of this immune response, which brings me to this point, you know, that when you take a vaccine such as this, it may or may not work, right? So you kind of had this idea that every system is different. So when the spikes are made, which presumably they would be made, the questions become, how many spikes got made? Don't know. Did the body respond? Don't know. And finally, did the spikes get made? We don't know. So there's all these things that can happen. And frankly, in an immune compromised system, the vaccine would be less effective. In a strong system, it would be more effective. And that makes sense. So the question becomes is who should take the vaccine? You got these considerations. Number one, and I was talking to my wife just this morning about this, an older person who is very susceptible, they're aging, they uh, are concerned, they're living in fear, they want to get out and do their life, they're afraid they can't do the life without the vaccine. They're 70s or 80 years old, and they just want to have some freedom again. If they want to take the vaccine, let them. Let them do it because ultimately they're reaching the end of their life and we cannot be uh, so, so uh, you know, ignorant to not mention that. That's the way it is. Let them live and sometimes just giving them the freedom to do that, to get out and to get around people, that does a lot good anyway. So we know that the studies so far on the vaccine safety is pretty good. In other words, you might get a negative effect in one in 100,000. So again, that odds are pretty good. So an older person that's immune compromised, it may or may not work anyway, based upon what I just got through saying. Now, the question I would have personally is in regard to a younger person. In a younger person, they don't die. So you're more likely to get killed as a child in a school bus accident, for example, than you would with the coronavirus 19, either if it with it or or, um, or with it or from it, I should say. Now, with that said, uh, a young person taking the vaccine, I don't know. I think you want to make that choice. An athlete or a healthy person taking the vaccine, professional athletes are tested incessantly. Those are all of the news as everyone knows. Not one that I know in the three major sports in America, baseball, football, and basketball from a professional level have died that are currently playing. So obviously there's something to a youthful and an athletic immune system. Just a couple of things to think about. So those two groups, I'm, I'm thinking the vaccine would probably perform better, I would say, but the question becomes is do they need it? And I ask the question last time we did a podcast on the vaccine, if you've already produced antibodies, could you take it? What would that do? I suppose you've got two thoughts on that. Number one, you could say, well, my body's doing okay. Or number two, you could say, well, my body did good. It might do better next time with a little bit of spike protein inducement. Okay. So um, I think the really 
interesting things before I get to the biblical principle, and then I'll wrap up for this broadcast, is that there's really no history of success with these type of vaccines, and there's not been time. So we can't really say, I want them to be successful before I use them, because that takes years. So the decision to use them really is now for many, many millions of people and billions of people across this world. We do need to follow people over, over time and really understand the pros, the cons, what we learn over time with them. Uh, the bottom line, please understand, is the lethality of the current pandemic, whether you think it's still a pandemic or it's reduced to an endemic, it's not lethal as it was, a 99% survival right now. Many people need to get some sort of a treatment. Start the treatment from the basic things we do, the basic things we do. All those protocols that you can get from us at Sherwood.tv that we'll talk, we've talked about many times, you simply cannot omit treatment. If you're not going to do those basic things to take care of yourself, man, I encourage you to get the vaccine. But if you're going to do those basic things to take care of yourself, you've got other decisions to make. So with all that said, the choice is yours. I hope this really helps. Now, for those of you that are Christian people, and we claim right now in America that this is a Christian nation. Whether you believe about that is your own choice, but the bottom line is I've got a scripture for you that's going to help you in regard to your ability to make a decision. So listen carefully. It's found in uh, the book of Matthew, verses uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses. I'm going to read something here to you, and I want you to catch this. Um, Jesus had died. He was crucified, put in the grave and is resurrected. He appeared to people and began to teach them before he went back to heaven. And he says these words in verse 16 and 17. Listen, whoever believes is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, this is very key, verse 17. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will be made well. And after that, Jesus was taken up into heaven. So this is known as the Great Commission. So I want you to zone in to a couple of words stated in verse 17. They will drink deadly poison. Okay. Now, I'm not saying the vaccines are deadly poison, but I am saying this to you very, very clearly. If God directs you, for example, if you're, we're on a mission here. If we believe we're Christian people, we're on a mission from heaven to earth to do the job and carry a message, right? That's the great commission to us. That hasn't changed to anybody. And believers should know that according to that, those signs that I just read will follow those. So they'll be common with those who believe. With that said, if God directs you to go to Africa on a mission trip and travel is going to open again, you can't swim there, you can't boat there, and you can't drive there. I guess you could boat, but that would take several weeks, I would suppose. But the bottom line is you're probably going to fly. Let's say, for example, if flying one day, and it doesn't yet, requires a vaccine certificate to say you took it to get on that plane to go to a place that God told you to go. Are you going to say at that point, I'm not taking the vaccine? Or are you going to say that I'm supposed to go, therefore, this could be a deadly poison that I might get exposed to, and I'm not going to die because God told me to go. So we've got to really sort of understand the greatest commission is our mission, and our mission is to 
that's our profession. That's our job. And if we really believe that and the vaccine does become mandatory to travel and you are directed to travel, we need to consider that and use that scripture as a backdrop to ask God what he thinks. I hope that helps unwind things again for you as well. I definitely hope that this has helped all of you understand the mechanisms of actions for the vaccine, the ingredients that we're susceptible to, what's in them, what's not in them. We've unwound some of the rumors. We've we've undone some of the myths we believe. We've given you what information we know to be accurate to this point, and we hope it provides benefit to you. We hope it provides information to you that is both relevant and reliable. And again, this is just our take on it based upon our research. Couldn't we be wrong and stuff? Absolutely. Do we know if we're wrong right now? No, we don't think so. We think this is the best we've got right now. But if something changes, we'll let you know. I want to remind you again, as always, before I close out today, again, go to Sherwood.tv. If you need anything from us, we're right there. There's a lot of cool resources on there for you. Um, free um, newsletters. Get on there. Subscribe. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on the next podcast edition. Again, we're going to do another edition at some point on medications. That's coming up as well. And we'll see you on some other exciting editions. Find out who's coming next and what's coming next. So we'll see you next time on Healthcare's Missing Link.